0: What do Jeff Bezos and two hospitals in Virginia have to do with each other? What's the connection, right? Well, both are great examples. Both I'm going to use as exhibits in this episode to make the case for why customer obsession, why attention to customer, proximity to customer, focus on customer or patient or member, whatever it is in your case, why they are having huge impacts on not only results business results but on your ability to retain and attract the best talent i'm going to give you another free chapter from our new book the great resignation in this episode leadership is the ability to facilitate movement in others toward a destination you can describe i'm russ hill i help build leaders and this is the culture hacks podcast Welcome into the Culture Hacks podcast. I'm Russ Hill. I make my living coaching executives, impacting their results. And it is hard to lead people, isn't it, man? Um, the one thing that's really good about it is it's job security for me. Anytime that there's discontent or challenges in creating alignment or clarity, um, that's just more. That's just more opportunity for our firm. And so I I laugh about it, joke about it, but in, in all seriousness, it is super hard and many of you uh, struggle with that as much as I have throughout my career as well, and um, and that's what this podcast is designed to do: help us lead others, help us create alignment and clarity, help us accelerate results. And when we get that, when we get better at that, when we can do that really effectively, not just with a team of five or ten people, but then we can do it with a hundred and then a thousand, then maybe five or ten thousand. If our career goes that way, some of us have ambitions to do that. Others, no, thank you. Leading five thousand or twenty. Five thousand people sounds like torture who would want to ever do that i get it trust me I, I totally get it look our firm we're trying to keep as few employees as we possibly can we want to grow this thing uh, real quick from a uh, revenue and profit standpoint but really slow from uh, an employee count you know what i'm talking about right okay so in this episode i thought what i would do is you you all i i i'm sorry i know i'm biased and it's 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 like nerdy but I love our new book. Like I've, I've, um, we we we've we've had numerous companies uh, that we coach or consult with purchase a bunch of copies for leadership teams, and um, they they've had us autograph or sign that, which is kind of funny because when you're nobody, like who who cares? Like I, nobody wants your autograph. Like, <laughs> but anyway, they've uh, they've had us do that, and uh, and it's been fun to to dig back into the book. Now, you know, a month or so after it was published, and there's just, I mean, we put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. The, the latest book is The Great Resignation, Why Millions Are Leaving Their Jobs and Who Will Win the Battle for Talent. It's all about the shifts that are going on in in the marketplace and how Uh, our employees have changed and if we don't change the way we lead then we're going to get lost um in this battle for talent there will be winners and losers in the coming three to five years in the battle for talent some of you are going to be able to hire exceptional people and others are going to really really struggle wondering why aren't we getting the quality of of employee that we want and it's because of your leadership skills and what you're focused on and uh, what you're prioritizing. So that's what the book was designed to do. What it is designed to do is help leaders like you, like me, um, make sure we're focusing on the right things and adjusting, shifting in the right ways in order to attract and retain the best talent. So here's what I want to do. Because I'm so um, into the book, I I want to give you another sample and give you another another a taste of it and so this is from late in the book a couple a few episodes ago i gave you the introduction for free hope you enjoyed that and uh, now i'm going to give you chapter nine which is one of the last chapters in the book it's toward the end and it's called customer obsession. So, again, just a quick disclaimer. Obviously, I, I you're going to get the audible file. Like this is the file that goes to Audible for the audiobook that people can purchase. And so you have to be much less animated, you have to be much less and use much less inflection in your voice and so you have to talk slower. So, um, that's a disclaimer for how you're going to notice the audio change here in just a moment from a podcast to recording for a book. But there there are two stories that I tell in this, uh, in this part of the chapter that I, or this part of the book that I, I, I thought you would get a lot of value out of. One is um, about somebody testifying in front of Congress. And, uh, and then the other one is about an experience with two hospitals in Virginia. So I'll, uh, I'll come back after, add a couple of thoughts. But here is chapter nine, part of it. This isn't the whole chapter. It's, I think, less than half of it. Um, but here is the audio from part of chapter nine of The Great Resignation. Chapter 9, Customer Obsessed. He scooted his chair up to the table, looked forward at the couple dozen people in suits and skirts facing him, and then his eyes moved down to the printed pages in front of him. He spoke calmly, yet confidently, into the microphone on the table. My mom had me when she was a 17-year-old high school student. It was difficult for her. When they tried to kick her out of school, my grandfather went to bat for her. After some negotiation, the principal said, okay, she can stay and finish high school, but she can't do any extracurricular activities, and she can't have a locker. My grandfather took the deal, and my mother finished high school. The man took a breath and then continued, my dad's name is Miguel. He adopted me when I was four years old. He was 16 when he came to the United States from Cuba. My dad arrived in America alone. His parents felt he'd be safer here. His mom imagined America would be cold, so she made him a jacket sewn entirely out of cleaning cloths, the only material they had on hand. We still have that jacket. Jeff wanted his audience to understand his roots. He wanted to humanize himself after he had gained a title no one else had, the world's richest person. A few minutes later, Jeff Bezos shared with the U.S. Congressional Committee what he credited for the unparalleled success of the company he founded. Amazon now has more than one million employees. 500,000 positions were created in one year, 2020. That's 1,369 new hires per day for those doing the math. Customers are always beautifully, wonderfully dissatisfied, even when they report being happy and business is great. Even when they don't know it yet, customers want something better. A constant desire to delight customers drives us to constantly invent on their behalf. No customer ever asked Amazon to create the Prime membership program, but it turns out they wanted it. Not every business takes this customer first approach, but we do. And it's our greatest strength, Bezos said. It's Amazon's greatest strength because it not only affects revenue and innovation, but it also affects their ability to retain quality employees. Wait, how? Glad you asked. Our research into attracting and retaining the best people continually took us to the same starting point, the customer. In our first trip to South Lake, Washington, we were skeptical of what we had heard Bezos say publicly. His word choice was cute. Describing customers as beautifully, wonderfully dissatisfied is the type of thing an executive says in front of Congress. But step into one of their internal meetings and it wouldn't take long to hear very different adjectives used to describe customers, if you heard them brought up at all. We had been invited to Amazon City, otherwise known as downtown Seattle, to run a couple days of strategic sessions that would be attended by hundreds of Amazon leaders. We were surprised at the invite since the word consultant is profane in Bezos land. But somehow we were given security badges. In the weeks leading up to this meeting, we studied everything we could find about Amazon's culture. You can't Google that phrase without finding tons of references to Amazon's leadership principles. We've mentioned one of them already in this book. We wanted to review the first one here. Customer obsession. Leaders start with the customer and work backwards. They work vigorously to earn and keep customer trust. Although leaders pay attention to competitors, they obsess over customers. Impressive, right? But then again, how many companies write fancy statements like this at management offsites and then fail to operationalize them? We intended to spend part of the first two days at Amazon probing to see if this mindset really existed. It turns out we didn't have to do any digging. Within minutes of the meeting starting, The word customer kept coming up over and over again. No matter what topic was brought up, everyone in the room insisted it be considered from the customer's perspective. It was as if the boss of this team was the customer. We had never witnessed leaders of an organization talk about their customer more. Where groups and other companies worry about how their decisions will be received by leaders above them or around them on the org chart. This group in downtown Seattle was fixated on how the customer would interpret everything they do. Within mere minutes of gaining access to Amazon's headquarters, we were sold. This company was different. It truly was customer obsessed. Cultures like that don't happen by accident. They are created. But how? And how does all this talk about customers help you retain your best people? Glad you asked. We're headed towards answering that question. We saved this chapter for last because it's what we want you thinking about as you prepare to finish this book. We want you thinking about the customer. Two very different hospitals. The largest hospital chain in the U.S. asked us to travel to Virginia to figure out why two of their hospitals, just a few miles apart from each other, we're having such different results. We took a team from our firm and spent half the day at one hospital and half at the other. Our time was spent interviewing dozens of employees and doing what's called leader rounding in various units. That's where you go to the maternity or surgery units with employees walking from room to room, checking on patients while spending the time between rooms, checking on the employee. You ask them questions about how their jobs are going and hearing what's going on in their minds. In both hospitals, one of the questions we asked every employee we interacted with was, what's the biggest obstacle to higher patient satisfaction scores at this hospital? In the hospital with poor results, no one, not a single person in over 25 straight interviews hesitated to answer that question. They all responded, we need more people. In the hospital with exceptional results, the question was greeted by silence and contemplation. There was no consistent answer. We were stunned at the difference between the two groups. But then as we analyzed our conversations at both hospitals in greater detail, we noticed another and even more significant difference. In the poorly performing hospital, we noticed one word was rarely mentioned by the employees we talked with. The word was patient. In the other hospital, the word was uttered frequently by their team members. The hospital with poor results had the more toxic environment. The staff universally blamed their outcomes on not having enough people and were so focused on internal problems That they rarely brought up the word patient in their conversations with outsiders. We discovered that the hospital with better results had the same employee to patient ratio, but had a culture focused on patients. Collaboration, accountability, and communication were at a whole different level in the higher performing hospital. Keep in mind, both of these hospitals were owned by the same company with the same policies. Budgets and resources. Both were in the same city and the same part of town, separated by only a few miles. The only difference we could find between the two were their leadership teams. Think of the advantages companies and teams experience when they make the customer, patient, or member their core focus. They innovate faster, there's less blame. There's greater collaboration. Better decisions are made. The further the customer is from the minds of employees, the more toxic the culture is on that team. The more internally focused a team becomes, the worse their results trend over time. Pick any company that's fallen off a cliff or slowly declined, and you'll see how easy it is to gather exhibits for our argument. Revenue and profit are lagging indicators. There are leading indicators of success and trouble. Two of them are employee engagement and employee retention. Both decline when people feel like they're caught in bureaucratic molasses, chained down by policy after policy and stuck in meeting after meeting. Creativity and communication are stifled, and it's not long before the most talented people start heading for the exits. Disruptive companies become such because of their proximity to the customer. Their access to the customer allows them to adjust faster to the increasingly frequent shifts in customer demands. That's an environment that attracts the best talent. Growth attracts talent and growth comes from giving the market what it wants. That is part of Chapter 9 of our new book, The Great Resignation, Why Millions Are Leaving Their Jobs and Who Will Win the Battle for Talent. By the way, we're super stoked because this is the first book I've ever been a part of writing. I'm a co-author on this, Jared Jones, the co-founder of our firm Lone Rock Consulting, and I wrote this book together. And um and we had a whole team contributing editors and graphic folks and designers and all. It's it's crazy how many people um you end up ever like this is our third book or my the third book I've been involved in. And each book, you end up having having a bigger staff working on it from the cover designer to this time. We hired a, an artist to do all of the illustrations throughout the book so that it they had a consistent theme, this this doodle drawer that we got from. Um, over in Asia and then uh, and then the the editors and the just there are a ton of people you don't care but but it's it's crazy how many um, additional people and I think it shows in the quality of this book it's it's the best one we've written in my opinion um, but uh, that's chapter nine the, the uh, uh, which is titled customer obsession and just a quick point you all um, it's so so true I want to reinforce what you heard me just say in that in in the audio portion of the book and that is, um, the, the further removed from focusing on the customer that a team is, our experience is the more toxic their culture. So the takeaway is how much are you talking about the customer? How much are they a focus of your meetings? How much are you innovating and changing and adjusting and doing research with the customer and not just maintaining or doing kind of the status quo, fulfilling their need of yesterday or today, but moving ahead and innovating and really talking about them. That is what attracts and retains talent. And by the way, it's what's the most fun to do to create on behalf of the customer and then go sell it to the customer and see if they're interested in it and then adjust as needed. So um, that's what I wanted to share with you in this episode. Hope you're all healthy. Hope you're doing well. We'll talk to you soon.